Welcome back to Catapult, where we help catapult business owners one question at a time. We've got a killer question today. We're talking about compensation. We've had more people leaving the workforce than ever. We have people jumping from job to job. And as a small to medium-sized business owner who's trying to grow and scale, it can be very, very difficult to be able to retain this top talent and get them tied into the long term. We're going to talk about some strategies of how to do that and really work through the specifics of a really cool business. It's been a client of Cultivates for many years. Pleased to introduce you to the show today, Eric Elkins. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Casey. I'm really excited to be here and learn more and work through some stuff. Well, let's make it happen today. And you are the CEO and chief strategist of Wide Focus Social Media. And obviously, you're not just helping people with their social media accounts, but you're really moving it into the demand generation side and helping generate more business for all the small and medium-sized businesses out there that I know you help support, drive, and craft from campaigns to ads to everything else that goes into the personas of managing social media. So kudos to your team. And I think there's a big celebration that's just recently happened. Is that right? You just hit 15 years, right? 15 years in business in August, and we're planning a big party for October when everybody's back around. But yeah, I can hardly believe it myself. I started the company back in 2007, and we're still rolling. Not only rolling, you've grown, right? I mean, you've got a nice size staff now, and you've really been able to grow the organization. Congratulations to you and your team. But 15 years, thats there's not a lot of people that can say they got to 15 years. And so congrats to that. It seems from everything that you're working on, it's only going stronger and stronger. And you know, I want to take a moment to thank you for letting us be a part of that journey. It's been really fun to work with you. And I know I speak for both Brad and TJ, who work closely with you there out of Colorado. Keep grooving. So thanks for letting us get involved as well. I'm honored. I mean, they've done so much to help us grow. And it's been really good to have a relationship with both of them. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. And I know that they'll say thank you when they get a chance to watch this when it comes out. But as far as like your entrepreneurial journey, right? Everybody listening in most likely have ran a business or they're thinking about running a business. And is what led you to start this company? What got you to go, I'm going to go take on this entrepreneurial spirit and go create Wide Focus? You know, I had been working for some startups and one that I had just left, I just left a lot behind on the table of things I wanted to achieve. And it was August of 2007. It was beautiful here in Denver, as it tends to be. I was working out of coffee shops and helping some friends with some of their projects, doing some marketing consulting, some copywriting, and applying for jobs. And one day I was just like, I just want to keep doing this. I just, I don't want to have to answer to somebody else constantly. I kind of want to be able to pick the projects and the people I want to work with. And that led to me. And honestly, some of the people who are sending me work were like, yeah, man, you should just do this on your own. And that really gave me the impetus to just stop applying for jobs and build a little website and start going out there and networking and bring in the referrals. But really what settled everything was I had a coffee with one of the VCs from the startup I had left. And he said, Eric, pull up your website for a second. I want to show you something. And I had this you know, handmade website that I built on a blogging platform. And it said, marketing, consulting, PR, sponsorship, sales, copywriting, content, everything, right? And at the bottom, it said social media. And he said, just get rid of all that stuff. And just say you do social media, and you're going to be busier than you can imagine. And literally, this is August of 2007. Like Nobody was really even talking in those terms. And I went, I'll try that. And literally the next, I keep saying literally, the next networking event I went to, someone said, what do you do? And I said, social media. And she said, oh my gosh, we need help with that. Can I get your card? And you're like, ah, good advice. Well, yeah, exactly. And it's been strong ever since. Well, you learned a very valuable lesson very early on that unfortunately most small business owners do not learn, which is the value of niching quick. 
so you can scale. And you've been able to do that. It's, it's been really, really cool to see that journey. So congrats to you and congrats to your team. But speaking of your team, you are working to essentially figure out how do we help avoid burnout? How do we help keep people around for the long, long term, right? How do we help tie them into the success of the company? And you poised this question to me on our inbound form of saying, I want to talk compensation today. I want to talk about how could we structure this? What are other ways you maybe haven't thought of the, you know, these things that ultimately could make the business fuel faster? And I was so glad to see the question. I've often spoke in my podcast where I've been featured or other things about the value of incentive-based compensation and structuring it the right way that should ultimately help carry and scale the business. I give our compensation program of Cultivate specifically a lot of credit to why we've been able to scale to how we have. It came from this endeavor to get compensation right. And I think a lot of times people just go, salary, little incentive at the end of the year, see you later, right? And the problem is, is the world is changing. People have so many more options and people want to know they're not a cog in the wheel. And they want to know they have a direct impact to some type of lever in the business and they want to be paid on that lever. It used to just be salespeople, but now it's mostly everybody, you know, in the marketplace. And as generations get younger and younger that are coming through, this seems to become more and more important, not only how their comp is structured, but the impact that they can make with the job that they hold. So good question. Thanks for asking. I know there's a lot of other entrepreneurs out there that are trying to solve and crack this code for their specific business. So excited to use this one as a case study per se to dig in and get this experience. So I want to start by just asking you a couple quick questions, if you don't mind. That's always part of our advisory process. So when we think about compensation, one of the things that I often see people struggle with is truly how to figure out the earning potential that they want their people to make. And so when you look at the people in the roles, right, is this really about figuring out a way for them to make a ton more money? Or is it about figuring out how to restructure the earnings to where it ties into where they can earn a lot more over time? Is it designed to create an immediate need or a long-term need that you're trying to solve or both? It's a little of both. Like I want a process in place for long-term to settle those long-term needs, right? But also I want people, especially now, you know, there's a bit of a labor shortage and there are a lot of reasons for people to come and go. There's the quiet quitting, there's whatever's happening. Like, and also cost of living has gone way up. So I want to make sure my people are taken care of in the short term that they feel definitely feel appreciated, but they're able to pay their bills and stay fed and pay the mortgage and feel like they're still able to live well, but also that they have an incentive to keep pushing and growing and helping the company grow and have more of an upside to that as well. No, that's fantastic. And I believe your team is operating remotely or do you come into an office every day? We have been remote since March of 2020 and it's been amazing. Yeah, so we're similar. And I know so many companies that have done this and so many companies that already were remote before you know the COVID era. And you look at that and go, it is difficult. And it, you just that brings even more focus to why getting this compensation right is important because of that remote space. There are some challenges, right? I'm a big fan of remote work. So this isn't me saying it's a negative. I'm saying it's an absolute positive. But tying that reward planner to connect the alignment to your staff is crucial. It's absolutely crucial. So what have you been thinking about when you look at like, if you were to cast all this out and shift the reward planners and compensation approaches, what are the few things that you're thinking about? Definitely thinking about fairness and competitive wages, thinking about what my team needs and what their priorities are. And also, you know, honestly, because we're remote, there are people in places where the cost of living is cheaper and places where it's more expensive. So I want to be equitable and make sure people feel that they're you know, able to live where they want to live. But also there's a sense that, especially with my leadership team, I want them 
to take more off my plate so that I'm doing more to bring in new business. And I want them to be compensated for that. For a few years early on, I had an operations manager and she got a cut of new business as sort of a motivator to take more stuff away from me so I could focus on bringing in more clients and more revenue. So there's like the performance side as well, though, like taking care of the team, doing your work, getting stuff done within the budgeted hours. And that's like a more individualized thing. But also, I think if everybody has a stake in the game and they know that instead of looking at a new client as, oh, no, that's more work for us, it's a wow, this means more revenue and more opportunities for engagement and incentives and cool outcomes, then that's going to make them want to take on more and give me more space to get out there and drum up more revenue. Yeah. Well, and I think you're hitting on a lot of the things, right? You're really talking about, are your people taken care of? Is the business taken care of? Are you taken care of? And therefore, can we bring on new business in which everybody gets taken care of, right? And you want that lineage or that alignment to really catch and bring all parties together. I've, I've talked a lot in the past about the value of you know, bringing everybody into a revenue-focused approach and letting them share the value of creating a revenue share model over a profit share model. But the problem is in your business, you are of a managed service, right? You're a managed service where you have people managing capacity. You know, my assumption is capacity is something you and your team are commonly talking about based on the type of business you're in. I mean, it's, it's got to be, right? That's just the type of business you're in. And so as you look to manage capacity, you've got to take that into account while also bringing on the new revenue and making way for that. And how to do that and taking on other team members that come in as you keep growing and scaling, taking them under their own, making them part of the family, helping cross train and sell. These are all things that are required to keep growing and scaling the company. And it can be hard when you're in, I'll call you in that those awkward teenage years of scale is where I would position your business, right? Now as a negative thing, it's just that time we were going, we, if we get to that next level of scalability, we're going to probably have a lot more systems in place. And one of those will be compensation. And I know you've probably felt that from time to time where you're going, oh, I need way more established processes in place if I'm going to keep growing at this rate. It just makes it more fair too, right? Like for the longest time, we'd say, oh, we'll just give them a dollar raise at the next review or $2, whatever that is, keep them happy and keep going. But there was never like a real reason to to do that. Yeah, so so something that's going to make them feel like it's fair and it's equitable and it's going to engage, but also that makes sense for where we are revenue-wise and financially. Well, it doesn't matter if we're talking hourly or salary now, okay? So probably different roles in your world are probably treated differently, and that's okay. So we're not going to get into those weeds, and we don't have to get into the specific titles today. But for everybody listening in, we're going to slow down. And my goal, Eric, is to help walk you through, if I were to design a compensation program, how I would go step-by-step to figure that out. So now you have a resource and a tool you can always follow when you go to take a look at this for every role in the company. Is that fair? So let's start with number one. You've got to figure out your on-target earnings. If the person is a top performer, what is the range in which you want those earnings to fall? Number one, now that's done by market research that allows you to figure out what's in market to get the type of talent you want. Sometimes even you got to dabble out a few, you know, Indeed ads just to get a couple of conversations and ask the question on those interview inbound forms to say, what type of earnings do you expect? That way you can get an idea of where the top talent really lies. That's crucial. If you don't know the marketplace, you're going to be lost. So I'm assuming you have that in the back of your head. Once you get to that, then it's about working and constructing that the right way to align the business. My experience is that you need anywhere from 65 to 80% in guaranteed pay, unless you're on a very high, high frequency sales role. Then you can skirt that even lower. 
but generally people need to be in that range. So that's where you would start and you start to figure out what does that number look like? Now, once you have the salary, that's the easy part. This comes the hard part. You have to decide what is an expectation of the salary and what is an expectation of an incentive? Because often we want to try to incentivize everything. And I've just found that that's not the right approach because what you do is you start to create a tit for tat model where people start going, well, I don't get paid to do that. They start to view their compensation as their job description. And that's the last thing you want to get. You've probably got some decent generalists on your team that are acting as specialists right now because of the size of your company, right? And as you grow and scale the company, you're going to get more and more specialists. And the last thing you want are those specialists to go, well, this is all that I'm getting paid for is based on my incentives. So you have to be very clear to say, these are the standards to work here and continue to be paid. And I encourage you to be able to articulate the two or three of those things very clearly per role. Then you move to the incentive structure, which gets really fun. And this is where you get to get really creative. And we'll talk about all kinds of ideas here in a moment as we get into the details. But at a high, high level, when you approach these specific incentives, I find that I'm going to use just general terms like associate and then more executives, okay? Associates of any type of company is generally going to have two to three metrics or types of things that are being measured that they can be paid off of. Anymore, they're overwhelmed. Executives, I find generally are going to be between three and four. You have to focus in on what those three or four things are with them and be very clear. And so keep in mind the actual way you measure that metric. So let's just take customer satisfaction or net promoter score. Let's just take a really simple metric and say, let's just say your team was incentivized on that. Well, you would want it. It doesn't mean that the thing you measure, let's say a good customer satisfaction score is 97% for the business or 96%. That doesn't mean you don't move that metric each year. You just, what you want to do is you want to get it right to where you don't actually shift the metric you're measuring. It's just what is the measurement of success. And that naturally will move. And that's really important to think because if you want to create fairness If every year or every two years, you're changing what those metrics are, you can imagine how that starts to feel. Once they start to get it figured out and it's good for the business, you change it to this new thing that you all are really bad at. And that's why you bring the focus to it. And that's a common mistake that we actually see a lot of business owners make. Does that resonate? Yeah, you don't want to move the goalposts. And you want people to know like what they're working towards year after year and that if they don't hit it or they hit it at a certain level one year, that they still have a chance to understand how to make it even better for the next year. Are you getting the advice you need for your business from this episode? Do you want to get more than just one question answered and have it customized to you and your business? Well, Cultivate Advisors works one-on-one with thousands of business owners every day. Let them help you scale your business today. Don't just listen to this episode. Take action and go to CultivateAdvisors.com to see which advisor you get matched with and receive a free two-hour business assessment on how you could scale your business to the next level. Act now at cultivatedvisors.com. Exactly. Let's say one of your community managers or team managers are responsible for retention of clients, right? You can come at it from a place of saying, okay, here's the retention rate we expect. I'm just going to throw out a random number. We expect 85% retention rate of our client base year over year. That's what we expect, okay? However, we're going to create an incentive up to 93%, 94%, because I always believe we're going to be cutting five or 6% of our client base. Again, these are just random numbers chosen. You're almost better off saying, hey, we're currently at 81. So I'm going to set the goalpost this year at 81%. But just know we're going to be slowly moving you up to the 92%. 
as where the incentive lies. And that's how we're going to move it over time. But because of where we're at, I'm setting it here. But I want you to know what we're in pursuit of. And a really good tool to communicate that is BHAGs. So big, hairy, audacious goals. Our big, hairy, audacious goal is to work towards here. So you're going to feel this goalpost move slightly each year up. But we're going to start based on what we're achieving. So we're always getting better year over year over year. And you're going to share in that incentive. And the more you can tie in to that very specific KPI per role, it's okay that every role, again, has these two or three incentives. So the next thing I look at is timing of incentives. If the salary is large enough, usually this is the case for executives or the hourly pay is large enough. For executives themselves, generally we find that you would be able to essentially live off that and then allow most of your incentive to land at the end of the year. But if you're too low on pay and there's a certain lifestyle that can't be achieved, you then have to be more equitable and make sure you're bringing more short-term incentives, either monthly or quarterly. I never recommend weekly because the administrative nightmare is just, it's just too much. So then you have to figure out what that cadence is. Now that we know exactly what the on-target earnings is, now that we know what are the three or four KPIs we're going to incentivize the business to, and now that we know the cadence, this is where you get a lot of creative options. And obviously this is all documented, all put in company policy, and the salaries are also set up as a range. So you would lay out and there'd be very clear, where do you max out in salary? essentially, knowing they have to get the rest from incentive to where people need to take on the next role and take on more responsibility if they want to move the salary, not just years of service. And that's a really crucial point that you share openly what the range is outward when you're recruiting, but all most importantly, internally with your staff so they know what the cap is. Now, as far as the incentive itself, I am a big fan of unlimited upside models. So I believe that the more you can strike the entrepreneurial spirit down into your staff, especially when you're a smaller firm that's in scale mode, the better you're going to be. Because if you win big, they win big. And the more you can create that, the better. So I want to slow down and talk about a couple examples. But what have you explored around how to structure this from you know ways to take a KPI and let them have upside? Is there anything that you've been thinking of or you've been exploring that we can dive a little deeper into those? Sure. I've definitely looked at, well, on the performance basis, you know, how, how well their clients are doing through the, you know, through our social media management and what effect each person has on that, but also to some extent client retention, but more so are they, how close are they to staying within their budgeted hours? So we always set with every new client, especially with our community managers, the number of hours they are budgeted, allocated to use towards that, to build towards that client each month. Sometimes they're way under, sometimes they're way over. If I've built it right and our pricing structure has, it's continually evolved. But if, if I've pitched it right and, and we're billing properly, they should be right at those hours. So definitely thought about like, we would never want anybody to work so far under those hours that they're not serving the client, but there could be incentive in hitting and working at your number of hours or a little bit below, not a disincentive per se, but not getting the same sort of performance incentive if you're going over your hours consistently. You know, one of the most common models I see that gets implemented for that type of structure, and what we're talking about is capacity management here, right? Like one of the things that I see a lot of executives get structured on is what's called a cliff structure, where essentially there is a cliff rate that you want them to hit. And so I'm just going to throw out really rough numbers again. Let's just say the, the, the margin you want to hit is 50% labor rate 
is what you need to get to. You need to maintain a 50% labor rate for all hours worked accredited back to the client base. And what you do is you set up and say, for every percent below that cliff, it's yours. For every percent saved, but you max it. You go up to 6% or up to 8%. And so as they take on more and more revenue, you essentially get to take on more and more savings. So on a you know a million dollar business and, and somebody's managing all of that and you save 4%, you essentially lock in your, as an owner, right? You lock, you want your rate to be. But anything below that they save on up to a maximum amount so they don't go too crazy, they get to take. And that can be a really sizable check when you start to run that, especially as the business keeps growing. And the incentive is to bring on more people because the larger it gets, the bigger those percentages start to become. And you are happy because you in the year and go, my labor rate, boom, my labor rate. And so that's a really common, I implemented that for the first time almost 19 years ago in one of my first businesses with a production manager on a home service company where we had a production manager manage the labor rate. You know, it was a summer job for a college student at the time is what, because it was a college painting business is what I owned. And it was, you know, this gentleman as a production manager, you know, walked out making a seven grand bonus after making 3,500 bucks hourly for the summer. I didn't care because I hit exactly the number that I needed to hit to make the model work. So it's not about you having the greed as the owner. It's about giving that upside for performance back to them. That's really cool. So cliff model might be something really interesting to explore. Another uh, model that you may want to think about, depending on the KPI, is an incentive model. Of course, it's incentive, but it's incentive based on like overhitting or underhitting. One of the biggest things that I see is when you're working on a, a KPI metric that's a little more volatile, like it's just it's not always as easy as to predict. Sometimes what's really fun to do that is to go after and say, well, if you hit 50 within 10% of the line, we'll pay you 75% of the bonus. If you hit within 20% of the line, we'll give you 50% of the bonus. That way there's always something to work towards because a lot of times where people get nervous about creating more of an incentive within the organization is what happens if they lose confidence or belief they can get there. This helps remedy that quite a bit where you can still hold strong to the expectation, but lead your troops in pursuit of additional incentives. And you do it on the other side, right? For instance, retention. This is a really good one to do on retention. Let's say we set that retention rate at 80%. If you hit 80%, you get the full bonus that we set out. But if you beat it by 10%, or it could be 5%, if you get to 84%, we're going to give you 150% of the bonus. If you beat it by 10% and get to 88, we're going to give you 200% of the bonus. And you can keep going as people keep breaking through. And that's what becomes fun is like they're always winning. They're breaking through the next record and you create that culture. And that model also works really well because that really works with the high flyers that are trying to go help solve how to move the goalpost, but you let them share when they move it. And for you as the owner, if your retention is that much better, you've probably done that much more revenue. So you can allocate those costs. So you're also not taking a burden onto the business when you attach it to that very specific KPI. Make sense? Oh, yeah. That's cool. cool. Yeah, totally does. A third version that we see, because again, sales is easy, right? Pay them a percentage of the revenue. That's a really easy one. But when you get more of the management, the executive groups, the people that are managing the clients, you know, I think of a lot of times of like customer service. It's hard to want to incentive customer service because you really just want to expect it right? It's like, I just expect you to have good marks. I've seen a lot of companies recently actually lead more to upselling, moving into a revenue share percentage on upselling, as well as a dollar figure per every Google review or whatever sites you want your clients to leave reviews on. 
but having them have to ask and get outside of their comfort to ask for them to tell their story of the experience they've just had. So you can tell your personal story, which I know would mean a lot coming from the person who's helped so many companies on the social media side. You know how important that social proof is. So coming up with other ways to where you can get an extra added incentive to create more value for the company that lives on past the employee and looking for ways to pay on a per item of success, just above and beyond their earnings. And another place where you get these performers to go, I'm going to go get 10 reviews a year and make another $5,000. And for you, you know the value of those Google reviews and what that means for search optimization and, and what that can bring into the organization. So any of those above and beyond, like those are the top, top performers that can go give a good experience, but then also get the client to go share the good experience. This is where you can create some really interesting levers to up earning potential and start to create a culture of performance while also doing it in a way that benefits the organization at a very, very high, high level. Yeah. And it, and it makes them give them ownership too, that they are contributing to the success of the company. Yeah. They're getting money off it, but also they have some ownership, you know, and some that they're contributing to that success is being part of something bigger, right? Not just being a, in the factory, but really being someone who's helping make a difference and pushing things forward. Thanks for tuning in to Catapult Your Business, where Cultivate Advisors is helping you catapult your business one question at a time. Are you running your business or is your business running you? At Cultivate Advisors, they'll match you with an expert advisor and do a free two-hour deep dive for your business. This will give you the clarity you need on how to get your business to the next level. Cultivate has worked with thousands of businesses. What do you have to lose? So head over to CultivateAdvisors.com and sign up for your free two-hour session. That leads me to two really important points here. One, when you build these KPIs and you talk about the word ownership, the thing that I actually see most people get wrong when they introduce incentive-based compensation programs is they don't get the buy-in equation right. Have you ever heard of the buy-in equation? Yeah, just to remind everybody listening, essentially it's the concept of saying, all right, I have a really good idea. One through 10, let's say it's a 10 because it's a really good idea. I take it to my team, right? And I need them now to go do the idea, their buy-in. So the quality of the idea plus the buy-in of the idea, right? Let's say times the quality of the buy-in. And so what happens is like, they're like, ah, it's a three. Okay, so even though the, the idea was amazing, it's only a level three for them out of 10. So I'm going to get an execution level of 30. Quality of the idea times the buy-in of the idea equals the execution of the idea. So I'm better off going to my team and saying, what KPIs, if we had to pick two or three, should they be? Having that discussion, letting them be a part of that discussion and decision-making, even if it comes back and that idea is like a six or a seven to you, Eric, but their buy-in is 10, you're going to get an execution of 60 or 70% versus you coming up with this whole elaborate comp program and laying it out in front of them. It works every time. Like You have to slow down and do this the right way where they get to choose the KPIs. They get to talk openly, look at the data with you to go, what should the metrics be? Why? How do we create that buy-in? And if you get a much larger team, then maybe you only do that with your executive team. But that buy-in piece is crucial. The second thing that I don't know if, if you've thought about is actually pulling them into some type of phantom equity or profit share program where there actually is, and you just actually start to allocate a certain level of profitability back to the team. I like rev shares more than profit pools. But the problem I have with rev shares is that they don't have a, a lot of your team members don't have control over the rev outside of how much they can produce. And the reality, it doesn't matter how much revenue you're doing, 
because you're of service of people, that capacity has to be hit. So where I've seen some people do this with the leader, it's really easy to create that cliff on labor rate. Then you could go to the entire team all working together in harmony to solve an objective and say, I'm going to allocate 5% of all profitability back to the business. And anything over our profit goal, I will also put in. So if we really have a breakout year, we'll pull it in. So you create a cliff. And then what you do is you create a matrix. You say, all right, we're going to rank every employee on years of service. We're going to rank every employee on intangibles, their ability to help others go above and beyond. We're going to have a ranking on quality and performance and how they hit. And you create a little number matrix system and it spits out a total number count that everybody can earn. And then it's, it creates a percentage of how much they're going to own of that profit. Documented, it's simple. And what it does is it ties them in to when the company has a good year, they take earnings out. This is so crucial. You have something like this to tie generalists in for the long haul of the organization. So they feel like stakeholders, right? Without the risk. There's no risk. There's no downside to them. It's only upside. And for you, it's not a huge shift of profitability because you just start to push the numbers 5% above where you actually started. But because they have that and you can show them what that incentive will mean in the future, you now start to create full alignment to where when you have like, hey, all we have to go move this metric. Otherwise, the profit pool is not going to be there. All of a sudden, everybody's tied and you can start to pivot on a dime a lot faster in the the organization. I like that too, because that also makes them want new clients, you know, want more work for the team because it's going to mean more money for them. Yeah, exactly. And you you want them to have a say in who comes onto the team. Do you like this person? Do you think this person is going to add value? You know, do you think this person will produce at a level, you know, that will help us hit this capacity output? That's what ultimately dictates our profitability each year. You know, and it's creating more of a transparent organization. I heard you say equitable and fair. You must have said it six times on your check-in with me on how you're trying to measure the comp. And I think that's amazing. You obviously have a massive passion for your people and you it's apparent you love your team. And I think to do that, the more transparency you bring to this and tie back to why and let them be a part of this creation together. I mean, this just sounds like a company retreat in the works, you know, take a day together and just slow down and really work through this. And ultimately, you'll come out with them building this incentive program, and you'll be shocked how much it aligns and holds more performance tension to the objectives that you're, you know, leading the organization to. So what parts have you heard that you're like, that's interesting, I'm going to go explore more on that? First, the cliff model for productivity just sounds, yeah, I mean, that's such an, in some ways, it's such an easy win, because, you know, you set the limit. So they're, like I said, they're not cutting back on customer service or they're still slowing down, making sure their work's correct and double checking their... Yeah, there can be quality expectations that hover over it. Yeah, exactly. But if we already know what that profitability goal is, if and if they beat it, then they should get that money, right? Yeah, you, you saved it from the company, so you get it, not me. Yeah, it's huge. And if we're placing it right, then we're not missing that money. And it's our, the client's paying it either way. So if we could give it to someone who's working harder and better... That also changes their their desire for more capacity, right? Like they might be feel like they're close to maxed out with the number of clients they're managing. But if a new client comes in and they can see that they're working X number of hours and can squeeze another five hours a week in for a new client, they'll be more motivated to do that if they know that if they do it in four hours, they're going to get some more cash back. You're absolutely right about that. And you can create a multi-tier approach. But at the end of the day, there's been this 
long-going rivalry of like, is a product business or a service business harder to run, right? Anybody who runs a service business will tell you it's a service business. Anybody who runs a product business will tell you it's a product business. But one of the things that I love, one of the pros of a product business is that you often can lock in your price per widget. This is a tactic to lock in your price per widget on a serviceable scaling side. And that is challenging to do. And so creating these really simple levers that are easy to explain, easy for your team to get behind and brings that much more transparency can unlock so much potential to where they're, you're no longer going, I need you to help me solve this. You're going, hey, how much do you want to make on this? I'd like to make 30 grand. Awesome. Let's go figure out what we have to do to make that happen. Are we pricing appropriately? Every time I bring you a new job, I want you to review our pricing and make sure it connects. You just created a string of alignment to where they're doing it for their own pay versus for the growth of the company, but therefore the company will massively grow. Yeah. And Casey, you are like, that's exactly the, one of the biggest things we've worked on in the last year with, especially with TJ is a pricing model that's consistent. And instead of me doing a discovery call, kind of estimating pricing, what I think they're going to pay versus what I think we should charge. What we're doing now is I'm working with my leadership team and saying, all right, here's the potential new client. Here's what they want. Here's what I want to offer them. Here's sort of where their capacity is. And we have a calculator with a model. And then I say, I want to price it this way. And they're like, that's not enough. Or that's, yeah, that's right. It builds this trust. And that's the thing about a system like this is they have to know that we're going to, that we're creating that pricing model that allows for this. But again, moving the goalposts and giving them fewer hours than we think they need. We're giving them exactly the number of hours that we've budgeted. And if they do better, it's good for them. But we're also not like changing the expectations in any way. So to know that it's not just me doing the pricing. And I think that build that trust of, you know, that pricing is being challenged and connected with the leadership team who really knows what work goes into, you know, each new client can build that the incentive becomes incentive based on trust and also on potential, which I think is cool. Yeah, people can feel incentive pay is like using employees, right? You can feel, but that's usually because you didn't do the buy-in properly and you didn't connect the dots properly. And so if you might be feeling that listening to this today, you got to go back to the drawing board and start with your team to help you figure that out versus yourself. I think, Eric, this is definitely the right start. And what I hope you're hearing is you understand the levers. You start with the on-target earnings. You work it back into, right, what's the cadence of the incentives you need to hit? What are the KPIs that we're going to attach? What's the weight we're going to attach to each incentive? And then how do we structure to create as much upside as possible versus fixed bonuses where we can. And if you do those on the right things, after a year or two of trial and error, you should find your model and it should open up this really quick scale to where everybody is aligned and singing the same tune, especially if you bring in that long-term strategy of saying, we're going to tie you into the overall success of the company because that's kind of your trump card, right? To say, we need to pivot and work on this. <laughs> and it's all in pursuit. It's just nice to have that, that carrot we can dangle. And also, I want to show them that we really do care, right? Like, I want to d demonstrate in a very tangible way. Sure, you know, we send out gift cards, and we do lots of random acts of kindness. And it's a pretty, it can be a cushy job, because it's remote, and because we're pretty flexible about a lot of things. And I think more and more, I've always wanted to make people feel like it's a job that they love, and that they want to stay in, even when it's a slog from day to day and week to week. And I think the fact that you put thought into an incentive and that they have some ability to talk about it and get buy-in and, and help create it shows them that they're working with a company that values them and wants to wants them to stay. Well, the number one reason why people leave is they don't like who they work for or they don't feel like the person is out for their own vision or their, their own best interests, you know, in terms of that employee themselves. So you're, you're hitting on all the right points.
So I've got to wrap us up here, Eric. It was great to dive in. Thank you for bringing this question and allowing us to unravel this thought of how do you set up incentive-based compensation the right way throughout your organization to help fuel and drive growth for an organization. But speaking about you, I mean, you've got this amazing social media company. I know you can do all things with you know revenue coming into the organization through social media. What's the best way for people listening in that maybe you're like, ah, I could use some help with my social media. Where's the best way to find you guys? You can drop me a line at Eric at Wide Focus, which is W-I-D-E-F-O-C.us or jump on our website again, W-I-D-E-F-O-C.us. You can find me on LinkedIn. We, you know, we work with B2B and B2C clients who have a pretty, they need to have a pretty healthy marketing budget. But really what we do is we leverage that social media to drive more business for them. We look at their target audiences and business goals and create really strong organic and paid approaches to make that happen. Amazing. Well, we'll put the website in the comments here below of the podcast or if you're watching on YouTube, wherever you're, you're streaming this from. And definitely check out Eric and his team. And again, Eric, I know I speak on behalf of Brad and TJ. Thank you for the partnership we've been able to have with you for the last several years. We've really enjoyed watching you grow and the journey you've had with the business. And we're really excited for what's in store for the future for you. So keep it going and kudos to you and your team. And congrats again on the 15-year celebration. Thank you so much, Casey. And uh, thanks for having me on today. This has been so much, so helpful. Like it's just, just given me a lot to think about, which, and things that are very practical that we can work with right away. Awesome. You bet, Eric. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time as we catapult your business one question at a time. Thanks, everybody.